Is it really possible to learn a life lesson when you're a 9 or a 10-year-old? That's next on this episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast. This is the Gratitude Journal Podcast. 2021 continues to be almost a bleed over from 2020, or at least that's so it seems. Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Gratitude Journal podcast. Matthew is my name. Always nice to have you listening and downloading and knowing that uh, you're going to whatever platform you normally use to gather audio content and aggregate it and then downloading it into your device and spending some time with it. So I try to return the favor because I try to find other podcasts that uh, are both of interest to me and ones that I think that I can benefit from. And hopefully some of the content in this podcast is also something that you can benefit from. I don't claim to be a teacher or an instructor or a credentialed person. It's merely just a way for me to share some thoughts about my outlook and my perspective and my life and some of my experiences and hopefully your experiences and the episodes that make up your life will kind of merge together and you may find some value in this audio content. Either way, I welcome you back to the Gratitude Journal podcast, a podcast designed, and I have to keep reminding myself of this because I, like a lot of hosts, have a tendency to sort of go off on a tangent, sort of find the back way to try to make a point. And sometimes I have to remind myself to stay focused that this podcast is designed to hopefully enable me throughout my life to find different ways to be grateful and to find gratitude for things and hopefully share those with you and that you, in turn, may find episodes in your life that will allow you to find gratitude and to be grateful for stuff. And yeah, sometimes I toss in a couple of side notes, especially as it relates to the weather, or in this case, the Cleveland Browns continuing to play in the playoffs, which we are just mesmerized by. And this is a great, great thing for all of us here in Northeast Ohio. And probably a great thing for those who follow the Browns worldwide. I knew this when I was living in Pittsburgh because the Browns have the largest collection of official Browns backers organizations in the world. Now, there are lots of teams that cater to their fans who don't live in their particular area of play. Meaning, if you're a Browns fan and you happen to live in Arizona or you moved for a job to the Netherlands, you know, you want to keep up with your team. And the official Browns backers organizations allow Browns fans to stay in touch, to gather, to uh, mingle, to watch the game together. In every place we've lived, whether it's been in Washington, D.C., twice, Whether it's been in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, or Pittsburgh, or St. Louis, we have always managed to locate an official Browns backers organization and to watch the games with fellow Browns fans. I think the furthest Browns backers organization, the official charter member, the furthest away from Cleveland, 
I believe, is Perth or Adelaide, Australia. So there are Browns fans all over the place. And regardless of where you are geographically, everybody is totally stoked that the Browns are in the playoffs. And we're even talking about the Browns in January, which is very much a rarity. Just got back from my little pre or my little post lunch walk and the earlier rain turned into snow. And as soon as I walked down into the driveway and closed the garage door behind me, the snow started to fall sort of sideways and I was getting fairly wet. But this is kind of what I like to do afterwards. It's like maybe like a little 10 to 15 minute walking meditation, for want of a better word. There is official methods for doing quote-unquote walking meditation. I've never been a particularly big fan of Zen Buddhist walking meditation. I really prefer to do my own style of walking meditation, although I did try to do my daily session of Zazen uh, earlier in the day. But after lunch, I kind of like to regroup, focus, rest my voice, and just think about what I need to do in the afternoon and just kind of ponder things in general. And the one thing that, of course, that I've been pondering for anybody who has followed me on Facebook, you know that we had yet another death in our family. And I think I made mention of my Uncle Jerry a couple of podcasts ago. And I think I had mentioned that He was in assisted living and not doing particularly well, and he indeed did pass away last week, and so the funeral was today, and Donna and I had every intention of going to the funeral. In fact, I notified all of my client folks that I was going to be out of the studio, and I was heading to West Virginia with my sisters, and I just, you know, COVID, as is the case with this stupid freaking pandemic. It just has saturated every fiber of our lives. We can't seem to get away from it. And whether it's a celebration, for instance, the graduation that we missed in Alabama for our granddaughter, Megan, or whether it's a funeral in West Virginia, the one for our Uncle Jerry today, it just gets in the way. And I just felt so... I guess I just felt so pulled and so torn about the fact that, okay, here we're going to go into, you know, territory out of state. And I'm going to put, you know, Donna, who is in a higher risk category in jeopardy. And is this something I really want to do? And my quest to celebrate the life of my uncle, my mom's only brother, my mother's only sibling sort of got the best of me and I reconsidered and I told my sisters we weren't going to join them on our trip to West Virginia and that we were going to continue to lay low and hopefully stay out of the spread. And this disappoints me a great deal. I preface this podcast by asking, is it possible for a nine or a 10 year old to be inspired by somebody? And I think that my uncle Jerry is proof positive of that. I've made mention of these childhood trips that we would take to West Virginia. I made mention of those, I think in earlier podcasts and Thomas, West Virginia is my parents' hometown. And Thomas, West Virginia was essentially a mountain town, a coal mining town. 
And unlike a lot of coal mining towns in Ohio and West Virginia and Kentucky, Thomas, West Virginia has emerged as this tourist almost sort of mecca. And so they were really lucky that they were able to capitalize on the gorgeous natural landscape in that area. It's prime real estate for mountain biking and kayaking and skiing, and it's an outdoors paradise. And that town of Thomas, West Virginia, a town that could have turned in the same direction as many other towns and been desolate and abandoned, has really grown. I mean, a town of probably an under a thousand people that has several art galleries and, and a small opera company and several microbreweries and a couple of really uh, extraordinary coffee shops and just a lot of antique stores. And really, it's primed for people who come from Washington, D.C., and it's primed for people who are in search of weekend getaways and outdoors activities. And it just happens to be my parents' hometown. And so we would go back there as kids every year. We would load up in the station wagon. You know, later on, all seven of us, when my youngest brother, Pat, finally uh, was born, and we would journey back. And one of the things that really impressed me about my Uncle Jerry is that he just seemed to be this larger-than-life personality. And I mentioned in my Facebook post that he had a joke for everything. I mean, quite literally, if you named a topic, he had a joke for it. And the jokes would just mount, go on and on and on. And he is the kind of person, was the kind of person, who could entertain rooms of people. And really, what I admired most is that he could entertain rooms of people the minute he walked into a room. He just had that presence about him. When he walked into a room, all eyes turned to him, and he was the master of the room. Not in an arrogant way, not in a pushy way, just he had the personality that was able to immediately connect with people. And even as a nine-year-old, this mystified me. It was very attractive to me that somebody could absolutely energize a complete room of people. And this was a quality of his that made me just enjoy his company and like him very early on. And I felt early on, too, that he and I had kind of a special connection. And it seemed like I was sort of the audience of his jokes. And when he would finish one, he would kind of look at me. And I know his, his wheels were spinning to come up with another joke because he saw that I enjoyed them so much. I mean, we all enjoyed them, but I just felt like we had a kind of a connection. He could rib me and I could sometimes... Maybe a couple years later, when I wasn't so embarrassed to be ribbed, I could kind of rib him back. And I think he liked that. And this 
was very appealing to me as a young person. And I would say to myself, sitting in the back of the station wagon as we were leaving our visit, sometimes a a week-long visit, I would really like to be like my Uncle Jerry later in life. When my mother's father, Jerry's father, my grandfather, passed away, it was one of the first times that I had journeyed back to West Virginia during the winter. And our trips to West Virginia were summer trips, trees full of leaves, beautiful blue skies, cool in the evening because you're on a mountaintop. There was a smell because of the pines. The water tasted different. In fact, I used to tell my grandfather, I like the water so much, I want to take some back with me. And during one of those trips, he had two empty milk gallon jugs. And he went down the road to this little spigot. It was like a like a piece of iron that stuck out from the rocks. And and the water was feeding down through this little spigot. And as kids, we would sometimes, we'd cup our hands and we'd hold them underneath this little pipe and we would drink the water. Well, he went down there and he filled up two of these gallon jugs with this water. And I remember by the time we got home, I had drank like three fourths of one of these gallons of water before we even got home. And later in the evening, I would pour some into a glass and I would close my eyes and I would swallow it. And whatever was in that water, I I don't know, there was was sort of like a, a rusty kind of aftertaste. But to me, it was very appealing as it rolled across my palate. And I kept thinking of those pines in the mountains waving gently in the wind as I was sitting outside at my grandfather's service station. And I would drink this water and and count the days until we could go back to West Virginia and visit everybody again and visit my cousins and just spend time in the mountains. So this trip to West Virginia in the winter was very strange. I mean, it was cold and there weren't any leaves on the trees. And the trees didn't make a sound when the wind blew and people were huddled up and this was a sad occasion and it was just very different. People looked pale. I looked pale. The snow crunched under our feet as we walked to the funeral home and it was just a very odd time for a young person who really hadn't had much experience with death before. And, of course, my Uncle Jerry was in the room afterwards during a reception after the funeral. And my Uncle Jerry was telling jokes. He was doing what he did. And this seemed odd to me at first. Why would my Uncle Jerry be telling jokes? And why would people be laughing at them? I didn't understand death. I didn't understand how people grapple with death. I didn't understand that the mourning process happened in your own private time. I thought we were all getting together in this room and we were going to mourn, but that wasn't the case. But there were people who were sad. There were people who required somebody to come up to them and hold them or hug them or put their arm around them. And my Uncle Jerry was that person. I watched him float between telling jokes to people 
and sitting next to them, consoling them, telling them it was going to be all right. And it occurred to me afterwards, driving back, that this person had just lost his father. And not only was he trying to lighten the mood, but he was the person who others turned to to find consolation in their grief. And as much as I could understand it, he was good at it. He was great at it. It made me think the other day that this is what Father Fick at the seminary talked about when he talked about the old man in the sea, the Ernest Hemingway work of art. And when he said this story, it encapsulates the theory of grace under pressure. And the first person who came to my mind was not Santiago, but it was my Uncle Jerry. As I saw him in my head, going around to the various people at that get-together after the funeral and consoling people and talking to people and, and executing grace under pressure. And it's something that made me love him even that much more. I'm not always the best practitioner of it, but I like to think that I'm grateful for my Uncle Jerry showing me how to be patient. My father had located this 1972 Volkswagen Beetle, a used one back in West Virginia, and it was our mission to go back and get this car. So we had gone back as a family, and then my father was going to drive the Beetle back and my mother was going to drive the regular station wagon or whatever they had at that time. And it was about my time to drive. I was already driving and I didn't know anything about manual transmissions. I just thought you like the car that we used in driver's ed and my parents' car that you started the car, you grab the shift on top of the steering column, you put it into drive, and then you drove. I didn't really know about clutches. I didn't know anything about them. But here, of course, this car had a manual transmission. So it was my introduction to try to learn how to shift gears and to learn how to press a clutch in and to operate this sort of strange car that was challenging. I like the idea of this challenge because, you know, I watched movies about manual transmission cars and people shifting gears and they were sports cars and they look cool. Someone in a Triumph TR6 racing around some European city. Well, that looked cool. So I thought, oh, I want to look cool. And hell, this is a European car. And so I want to learn how to drive this car. So my father was teach, trying to teach me how to drive this car. And I, it was just a, it was an abomination. I had no idea how to let out the clutch and give it some gas for that kind of smooth transition. Either I would let the clutch out too soon, it would it would pop it, and we both would go surging towards the windshield, or I would press on the gas too much without letting out the clutch, and the engine would just whine out, 
and I was always starting in the wrong gear. It was just a disaster. And my father was becoming quite impatient with me. And he said, all right, that's enough today. Let's, let's go back. And so we drove back to my grandmother's house and everybody's standing outside talking. And we got out of the car and my dad was saying, I don't know. I think he'll ever learn how to drive this car. He was t- telling him all the things that I had done wrong. And I was embarrassed, but really I had done a lot of things wrong. So he wasn't particularly wrong about saying it. However, my uncle Jerry kind of, kind of stepped in, rose to the rescue and said, come on, let's go. He grabbed the keys from my dad and said, let's go. I'll, I'll, I'll work with you a little bit. So we got into the car and we drove up a road to the cemetery. And as we're going up the hill, he said, you know, in West Virginia, this is the kind of thing you have to do for your test. And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, he said, we're going to pull over the side of the road. He pulled over and he was driving and he put the car in neutral and he let the car go backwards down the hill by itself. And then you had to put the car in first and you had to make it go forward so that it can only back down the hill a certain amount of space. It seemed absolutely impossible for me. Like, how could, how could anybody do that? I mean, this guy must be the most amazing driver in the world. And you do it two or three times. And I was just in awe. Like, you got to be kidding me. And we got out to the top of this hill finally around where the cemetery is. And he stopped the car and he said, you're going to get in and drive. And I gulped and really? And he says, yes. So we switched positions. And of course, the same thing transpired. But I felt at the end of that day, like I had a little bit better grasp of of the clutch gas synchronization process because the way that he instructed me was one of patient tutoring, one that was quick to dismiss my errors and concentrate on the things that I had done right. And I've thought about that lesson numerous times while I was an instructor at business colleges. And I would say to myself, try to be patient like Uncle Jerry. Try to put yourself in this student's position. Try to pretend at least that you know where this person's coming from so you can be better equipped to handle the dilemma that they're involved with. And I like to think that that patience that he exhibited on that day was something that I could use down the road and have used down the road. And for that, I'm grateful. I also find it odd that the Cleveland Browns defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers in a playoff game. And it happened really mere days before the passing of my Uncle Jerry. And I think, I think, in the midst of my own mourning, that that vision of him telling jokes, grace under pressure, in the midst of a bad event, finding a little glimmer of humor and hope, I would think that the one person who would find it amusing 
that he happened to pass away the day after the Browns beat the Steelers, that Uncle Jerry would find humor in that, that he would find worth in that. I'm grateful to have had such a bigger-than-life personality in my life, as are my siblings. And I think it's true, and I mentioned this in my Facebook tribute to my Uncle Jerry, that my mother worshipped the ground he walked on. And I know that to be true because of all of those things that he possessed. A sense of humor, knowing when to say the right thing. And I think the world is less of a place, less of a good place, with Jerry Tobacco being gone. And so, just for those things, and I'm sure there are many other things, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for having been his nephew and grateful that my wife, Donna, was able to know and meet him. In fact, he basically gave her all of his writing. He has been a longtime writer of articles for the newspaper, and he basically gave those articles to her. And... They just seem to get along so well. They seem to really mesh. And I think she is as devastated and sorrowful as I am, knowing first and foremost that he is no longer with us. And second of all, that this virus prevented me from feeling comfortable about us being out and amongst everybody for this funeral. And for that reason, it's just very sad. So my plan, my goal, is to find an appropriate way to go back to West Virginia and toast this giant of a man, this icon of a man, who has been such a huge influence on the whole chronology of our existence as a family and to try to find some way to honor this great man. Hopefully the state of Ohio will step up and get their collective act together and get rolling with this vaccine so at least Donna can be a recipient, and yours truly can also wait his turn in line. I am really the opposite of an anti-vaxxer. I get a flu vaccine every year. I, assuming that it's worthwhile, I have to be available for people, and I try my darndest to not put myself in situations where I'm going to be ill. I don't like to be ill. I don't get ill too often, but when I do, I really get laid out. And so I'm going to be gratefully waiting my place in line for whatever vaccine they want to shove in my arm, because the sooner that we can get this over with, 
the better. Here's hoping you have not experienced any COVID-related illness, that you're safe and that you're masking up and keeping your distance and doing your part, doing your part to help rid us of this catastrophe that has happened. And until then, go Browns. (laughs) I'm sorry. We never get to say this in January. (laughs) And thanks, as always, for downloading and listening to yet another episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast.